This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chris Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chris Meyer. Have you ever wondered how to identify an anointed leader in the body of Christ? Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be discussing it in ways perhaps that you have not thought of. That's right. And we have an expert joining us to uh, share his thoughts, his heart, his life with us. And uh, I know you're not going to want to miss this because, quite frankly, we have a question that's hovering over the professing Christian community all over the world, and particularly in the United States of America. And here's the question, who's building the church? And whose church is it? How many times do you hear somebody say, my church, my church, my church? Maybe a pastor will call it his church. Maybe somebody else will call it by the pastor's name and call it his church. But whose church really is it? Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So whose church are we building? And how would we know if a pastor or a leader is actually involved in allowing Jesus to build his church or is seeking to supplant Jesus to build his own? Interesting question here today on Viewpoint, particularly in light of the fact that going back into the early 1970s, a very interesting progression began to take place. It began at Pasadena, California, where I was practicing law for 20 years. It's called the Church Growth Movement. It began in one of the preeminent seminaries, evangelical seminaries of the country, right there in Pasadena, California. And uh, then, after a period of about 15 or 20 years, as the concept of church growth began to take over, increasingly, people identified various congregations as belonging to a pastor, and a pastor would refer to it as his church, increasingly. Then came another iteration of this uh, progression, and that was called the seeker-sensitive movement. The seeker-sensitive movement moved us from church growth to, well, we're needing, going to need to compromise more and more in order to lure people who really didn't want to be in our churches to come into the church. Then that was not enough. About 15 years ago, another iteration began to take place called the Emerging Church Movement, when increasingly the truth of the Word of God became was given short shrift in favor of trying to seduce even more so-called seekers who were no longer really seekers into the church. Well, what happened to anointed leadership in the process? Is it even possible to identify an anointed leader? And if so, how would you do it? Would you measure it by the size of the church? Would you measure it by the size of the offerings? How would you measure it? We're going to talk about that here today on Viewpoint. Our special guest, Scott Rodin, Rodin, uh, with his book, Set Free to Lead, it's a guide to discovering the abundant life of a Stuart leader, which is another way of saying, well, are you going to seek the Lord of the work or the work of the Lord? Hmm. Interesting. Scott, good to have you on the program. Thank you, Chuck. It's great to be with you and all your listeners today. Well, it's amazing that you're joining us all the way from... uh, Hawaii, uh, that takes some real dedication. 
Uh, given the fact that you're uh, away, for, that's not where you live. What's going on in Hawaii? No, we're here on an, uh, actually on a business trip, but I love talking about this topic, so I am more than happy to uh, exchange an hour on the beach with uh, a chance to talk with you and your listeners about this important issue. So glad to be with you and uh, all the way from the beautiful shores here in Honolulu. Well, that's great. And again, we're getting some of that echoing. Maybe it's uh, something in the uh, pipeline all the way from Hawaii. In any event, uh, who is building the church anyway? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Uh, You make disciples. It appears that over the past 40, 50 years, we decided to build churches and not make disciples. It's really a provocative question, Chuck. There's no question. Um, you know, in our work, in working with leaders, we had the opportunity to work with Christian leaders around the world here for about the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And one of the primary challenges, I would actually say, I think the primary challenge that's faced by Christian leaders and pastors is whether or not they are going to view their work, view their calling from the lens of an owner leader or a steward leader. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk much about that, and this is what we're trying to raise up for people to stop and consider and look at it, because the, the differences are significant. Um, and that's, that's where I would want to start the conversation. Our, our, as you as a leader, as you as a pastor, when you look out at your, your congregation or your nonprofit organization, or even a Christian business owner, as you look at your own business, mm-hmm. um, who owns this? Who is the actual owner of it? And does your leadership reflect your total conviction and belief and actually surrender to the fact that this is this is God's church, this is God's nonprofit, and you're called for a season of time to faithfully steward what doesn't belong to you with power that doesn't belong to you, with resources that don't belong to you, through people that don't belong to you, to achieve a vision that's not your vision, a mission that wasn't that's not your mission. In other words, the entire thing is so Christ-centered and God-centered and not me-centered. Um, and that's, that's for a lot of people, that's a huge transition to make. Um, I'll just share with your listeners one of the, excuse me, one of the, one of the little mantras we use in, in this teaching is that um, every church, every nonprofit organization, really all of us even personally, should be living and working under a sort of a meta-mission statement. This is like one mission statement that should, that should be over and above everything that we do, no right. matter where you're working or what you do. You ready? That's that? a pretty sweeping statement. <laughs> so here's the mission statement. Our mission is to do God's work, God's way, for God's glory. I like that. Say it again. God's work, God's way, God's glory. Now that, that seems very simple, but what a measuring stick for our leadership. You know, we start by asking the question, is, is this God's work? <clears throat> Am I doing this um, because God has, uh, has put us to this work? It's his vision. We have, we have spent the time in prayer and discernment, uh, in listening to the body, in all the things that we need to do to ensure that when we step out and we do a work that we put Jesus' name on, we did it because this is his work. It's not my work. Well, it's interesting. And I grew up in a pastor's home and uh, have been around pastors all my life. Uh, my my uh, father's mother and father were both pastors. And uh, the same in on my mother's side. And uh, I have grown up in the church uh, from coast to coast, have been involved in about 10 different denominations and almost all of the various movements 
within the broader body of Christ. And one of the things that I have observed is that there is a strong tendency among pastors and other leaders to focus so much on the work of the Lord that they miss the Lord of the work. (laughs) And when you do that, you've already lost the battle. How can you have the anointing of the Lord when you're not even listening to him? Yes. Well, and you, you've started at exactly the right place. You know, the phrase that we use, which is very similar to the one you use, which I love, by the way, is that we spend so much time doing work for God that we leave no time left for God to do work in us. <laughs> that is, it's so simple, and yet, uh, according to worldly standards, right. all of our lives, all of our, shall we say, worth and identity... Mm-hmm. supposedly rests on the measure of our work and not of our relationship to the Lord. We'll pick up on that when we get back. Stay tuned, my friends. Set free to leave. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. What an incredible blessing it is to come before you day after day after day confronting the deepest issues, uh, confronting America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. And since our audience, uh, those of you who listen to this program, are 99.9% professing Christians, most of you strong Bible-believing Christians, we are struggling with these kinds of issues, and we try to deal with issues that go right to the heart of our lives. Our program is not primarily an evangelistic program. It's primarily a message to the body of Christ to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. But how do we do that if we're not doing things God's way? And how do we know if and when the leadership that we have appointed was anointed by God? Our guest today says very few Christian leaders today were anointed before they were appointed. So we appoint them, and then we anoint them as if they were anointed by God, and it's creating all kinds of confusion, and then we can't understand why things break down so badly within our Christian institutions and organizations. God selects leaders in the opposite order than the way we do. Tell us about that, Scott. It's a challenging concept, Chuck, Um, and... It's easier to talk about theoretically than practically. So I'll tell your <laughs> listeners that right up front. I get asked, well, how does this work? And I'd love to continue to work this out with people. But, um, but it is true when you look at Scripture that the people that God chose to do um, really outstanding things were not people that we would have chosen. That's right. And in fact, um, you know, uh, he even tells, you know, the, the prophet that, you know, that man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. Well, that so was spoken David. of by David, uh, for, concerning David, Samuel and David yeah, who right. was the last of and least of his father's yep. sons. The last mm-hmm. person any of them would have ever selected, and yet mm-hmm. he's the one that God selected or anointed. And you can take that right on down the order with all the great, all the great uh, leaders in the Bible. And what they have in common, though, Chuck, this is the key. What the, I think what the great leaders had in common throughout Scripture 
is that they were willing to do whatever God asked them to do without question. Mm. And that, to me, is, if you will, a sign of an anointed leader. It is back to what we're talking about, doing God's work, God's way, for God's glory. Well, this is the reason why the Scripture says that the church was was built on the framework of the apostles and prophets, because that's who those guys were. That's it. That's it. Total surrender, total willingness to... Um, and, and so here, you know, going back, uh, we talked a little bit about leadership crisis. Uh, when we were, when we talk with leaders who have had some kind of a failing, and that's just not just a moral failing, that might just be burnout. Mm-hmm. That just might be, in, in, they were just inefficient, ineffective, they have beaten down or whatever. But somehow they've left the leadership position in a, in a negative way. Uh, when we help them trace back and ask the question, where did it begin? Where did you first feel like you started the into a, we call it a downward spiral of leadership, where things just got worse and worse and worse? What triggered it? Mm-hmm. And you know, Chuck, when we come back to that and we look at that, we find over and over and over again a common denominator. And it is the moment at which Christian leaders substituted self-reliance for intimacy with Christ. Mm-hmm. There was a day in which they said, I, I normally would spend a lot of time today think, praying, reading Scripture, making sure that I'm really tuned in and listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but I have so much to do. There's so many demands on me. Sorry, that that I, I'm going to set that aside. And as soon as we set that aside, we immediately substitute for intimacy with Christ, for hearing what the owner wants us to do with this stuff. We immediately substitute that with my own self um, ability, my own self reliance. I'll take this on myself and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see we see leaders out there burdened down. If there's probably ones listening to us today that are burdened down, beaten down. Uh, frustrated, discouraged, because they feel like it's all on them. It's just all on my shoulders. I've got to make this church go. I've got to make this organization go. The board's asking me to do it. The donors are asking me to do it. And, and i just got to make it happen. And that's a sign that you're on the spiral. Well, Scott, down. as you're saying that, what that leads me to believe, and I've served on the boards of uh, every level of educational uh, mm-hmm whatever in the body of Christ, from university on down, and uh, a number of other boards. And what I notice is the continual propensity to elevate worldly institutional thinking over mm-hmm. biblical thinking. And so we measure success not according to any of God's standards. In right. fact, we're not even willing to leave success up to God. We think mm-hmm. we have to be the successful ones so that we can get credit. And it seems to me that that's one of the big problems that we're facing. It's a huge problem. You actually just, you really nailed it. Um, you know, a, a leader, one of the reasons leaders feel this heavy pressure on them to, to, to succeed and to meet certain metrics is because it's being placed on them mm-hmm. by, by boards and, like I say, donors and staff and all that. Which, by the way, are you know, not necessarily biblical standards or overseers. No, 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 they're not. They're not. Um, so the question is, you know, we talk about doing God's work, God's way for God's glory. Uh, we, part of it is knowing we're doing God's work, but the next big question we need to ask is, are we doing it God's way? Yes. And there's, we can go out and attempt to do God's work our way, um, which means that our fundraising is done according to, to, to worldly secular standards, not according to kingdom values. It means the way we manage people, the way we measure programs and projects, the way, I mean, everything we do can be done not God's way. 
Um, it can be done our way, relying on our own strength and our own abilities. Well, what you're and talking about that, is a phrase that we used to use back in the days of uh, our threat from communism. The end justifies the means, and we've adopted yeah, exactly. that right in God's house. We have, we have. And then, you know, so follow the, follow the process. Even if I'm doing God's work, if I'm doing it my way, and we have some success, then who gets the glory? You know, mm-hmm. I do. We yeah. do. And now we're doing God's work our way for our glory. And so we've got to take a look at that middle one and say, what does it mean to do our God's work, really doing it God's way? And that's the challenge of all the methods you were just talking about. It's a, it's a very different way of measuring success. Um, and I'll just say real quick, I think that the, 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 the most fundamental question you can ask any leader, if you want to get to their heart right away, is asking the question, how do you define success? I agree wholeheartedly. How do you find success? Friends, you got to get a copy of this book. It's going to be so encouraging to you amid the kinds of troubles that we're finding. The kinds of troubles that we're finding are not just with COVID or the Afghanistan or any of these other issues. They're really heart issues, Mm -hmm. and they go to the very heart of we, the people who claim to be the people of God. And uh, here's a wonderful book, Set Free to Lead, Your Guide to Discovering the Abundant Life of a Steward Leader. $15, we'll put it in your hands. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, Scott, uh, one of the things that came to my mind as you were talking about defining success and who defines the success I want to give a little bit of personal insight here. When we launched this radio program 26 and a half years ago, uh, there were those who said, you can't even think about doing this unless you have a million dollars in your pocket. These were God's leaders that told me that. Then another one said, who was working with many other so-called revered spiritual leaders out there, said, well, maybe if you had a quarter of a million, you might even think about it. We didn't have anything. We didn't even have $10,000. But God said, this is what I want you to do. So we began. And uh, I can't tell you how many Christian leaders or their publicists will ask us or me, well, how many listeners do you have? How many listeners do you, how many stations are you on? When they ask those questions, what they're actually doing is asking you to measure, for their purposes, the success of the ministry God has given you stewardship over to advance the cause of their ministry. Not God's ministry, their ministry. And it grates on me because this is the standard now that is used even throughout the evangelical community. Yeah. Well, again, you, you've hit on such an important topic. You know, when we, when we talk about how you define success, because I do believe that our own personal definitions of success, and certainly those of our institutions that we lead, that definition drives everything we do. Mm-hmm. Everything we do will be focused on achieving that metric, that, that overriding metric. Yeah. And I, I just believe, and I'd love for your listeners just to kind of assess their own leadership in their life right now according to this, but I really think there's two primary choices. I think we either, we either define success in some terms of productivity, what we do, what we accomplish, what we get done, the goals we meet, the, 
you know, all the things we put in our life that say that I am successful because I have achieved this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, or the other one is we define success totally in terms of faithfulness. There you go. I am successful because this is what God called me to do, and I've done it as faithfully as I possibly can and left the results up to Him. In and other words, God didn't call us to be successful, He calls us to be faithful. And that's, of course, that's uh, Chuck Colson. Yeah, that's uh, that. That's uh, he's got he had that uh, plaque on his desk for a lot of years. That said exactly that. So we're in good company. But but here's the here's the, here's what um, again just a word for your leaders out there. When you define success as productivity, it will put you in bondage. Mm. And if you will define success in your life as faithfulness, it will set you free. Absolutely, no wonder you set the title "Set Free to Lead." That's there it the is. That's the heart of it. Right there. Yep. No question yep. about it. Scott, I tell you, uh, when I first got a hold of your book and I started looking through it, I thought, you know what? This book is different than almost every other book on uh, Christian leadership that I've that's come across my path in the last 26 years. And you have gone to the very heart of the matter. You've gone for the jugular, so to speak, the spiritual jugular, and I really, really ap- appreciate that. Now, Within the broader body of Christ, this word anointed is a bit of a mysterious word. Uh, it, it depends on which particular camp you might be in. For instance, if you are in uh, the Presbyterian camp, it might mean something to you or nothing, actually. Uh, if you're in a Methodist camp, it might mean something. It depends on what Methodist camp you're in. Uh, if you're in a Baptist camp, it might mean something to you or nothing. If you're in a charismatic camp then it's going to have more meaning to you. But the question is, what does it mean? So <laughs> this word anointed is a bit mysterious and lacking in, uh, what should we say, sufficient definition. Can you help us with it? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll make a, a simple, my simple definition. I just think an anointed leader is one through whom, one who is prepared so that God can work his will and work through them. Okay, but some would say, okay, well, that means if you've been to seminary and you got Mm -hmm. your THD or whatever it is, you're anointed. Well, that can be part of the journey, but this is a hard thing, as we've talked about, right? It's the the ability to stand. You know, Henry Nowen did some pretty amazing things on leadership, and he he said it's, it's the ability to stand before the world in your total irrelevant self, which is just the last thing in the world we want a leader to do, right? We want to be relevant. Uh, But his point was that um, our relevance doesn't come from our preparation, our training, or our skills, or our abilities. The reason that we're relevant is because God is actively working in and through us. Isn't that exactly what happened there in Acts chapter, what is it, chapter 4, when Peter and John uh, show up there uh, at the temple, and the man is the lame man is healed, and they're taken to task by the religious leaders of the day, and so ordered not mm-hmm. to speak again in the name of Christ. And mm-hmm. uh, but then they they realized, and the the religious leaders said, "You know what? Uh, these men are ignorant and uneducated men." But it says but. they took notice of them that they had been with Jesus. In other words, they saw the anointing that was unlike anything else that they experienced yeah. within the temple. Yeah. yeah, amen. Amen to that. And um, they had no degrees behind their name. Right, right. 
And again, you know, being a, a former seminary president and having worked really hard to earn my own PhD, <laughs> um, I don't mind degrees. I think degrees are great. But because it's part of our preparation process, and God prepares everybody in different ways for his work. Yeah. But, you know, Chuck, there's this age-old question in leadership studies um, as to whether great leaders are either born that way or made that way. Mm-hmm. Are they just born with the innate skills and abilities to be a great leader? No matter what they do, they're going to lead? Or can you take anybody, and with enough training and, and, and education and all the rest of them, you can make them into a great leader? And there's huge problems with both of those approaches. And what we're trying to say is we don't think either one of them are right. We think that from a biblical perspective, if you look at what God has done throughout history, great leaders in the church are neither born that way nor are they made that way. I think great leaders are set free to be great leaders. They're anointed by God, not by by their mothers or by their boards of directors. We'll be right back after this, friends, with Scott Rodine, Set Free to Lead. What a great book. $15, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. We'll be right back with you after this. We've just begun. There is so much more about Chuck Chrismeyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismar, a special guest today, Scott Rodin, uh, with his book, Set Free to Lead, talking about the nature of what it means to be an anointed leader or have leadership that is anointed by God, not appointed by man. It seems that men's appointment should reveal God's anointing that precedes it. But unfortunately, that isn't usually the way it is. Usually, you earn your way to being considered. And then you're presented as a candidate, for instance, for a church pastorship, or as a candidate for a seminary or a school or anything else. It's these earthly qualifications that place you in the realm of consideration. Very seldom, I would say, is a genuine Holy Spirit anointing considered. Scott, do you think I have it wrong? Have I generalized too much? Well, um, I I think there's a a true desire for most search firms, most search committees that are doing, they're looking for leaders of churches or nonprofits um, to find a a man or a woman who is anointed, who has the Holy Spirit power behind them. Um, The question is, you know, do we know how to ask, do we know how to look for it? Yeah, in and other words, do those people that are appointed to look for such an anointed person even know what it looks like? Exactly, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, so one of the things uh, we were talking about a little bit earlier 
Um, oh gosh, I just lost my train of thought here for a second. Um, the um, that's all right. Oh, yeah, you must be over so, sixty. Yeah, so, <laughs> I am just barely. Just barely. Um, okay. You know, we do a lot of training of board board members. We do a lot of uh, nonprofit board training, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I challenge boards with is I say, you know, do you do an annual evaluation of your president? And they'll say, well, sometimes yeah, sometimes no, sometimes sort of, kind of. It's not we don't do that very well. But um, but when I do that, I say, how often do you ask your president the question, how is it with you and Jesus? Where are you in, in developing deeper intimacy with Christ on a daily basis? Mm. And beyond that, is that the most important question you'll ever ask your president? Because I think it is. Um, here's well, I what happens, Chuck, real, real quickly. We talked about this before, that when I, as your president, I begin to lose that sense of intimacy because of all the journey, the urgent, all the other things that can happen, and I begin this move into kind of relying on myself, my own strength, and my own abilities, this spiral is, is devastating to leaders, because the next thing I do is I tie my identity to my job. Mm. And leaders, if you're out there and listening, if you are tying your identity, your self-worth, your value to what you do, to your job, your title, you are heading down a road that the enemy is going to use to absolutely destroy you. And that's also true for parents and fathers who are supposed totally. to be the leaders of their homes. Totally. I tell people that if you don't believe that parents can can own, have an ownership, control attitude toward their children, go to a Little League baseball game. You know? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's there, right? It's there. Oh, we, can, yeah. we can own our spouses. We can own our, you know, try to own, have ownership in our marriage and the way we parent and everything that we do. The enemy wants, the last thing in the world the enemy wants you to do is to be a joyful, faithful steward who's been set free to do whatever God wants you to do. Which means we set up the work and our identities with the work as a subtle form of idolatry. Idolatry. It's exactly idolatry. It's exactly what it is. Mm. Um, And and we feel it. And I felt it. I was a seminary president for a number of years, and it's Mm -hmm. very easy to to begin to feel that that my identity was wrapped up in my job as a president of a seminary. Yeah. and boy, there's a slippery slope that you go down when you start that. So we've got to keep our identity in Christ as our core identity and allow the role we play right now to be something that we just steward for a season. You're in a leadership position because for a season, God has allowed you to lead this organization, to steward it on his behalf, for his way, his work, for his glory. And, um, and, um, and that sets us free. Well, this is the great danger of so-called professional ministry. Professional mm. ministry is the enemy of prophetic ministry. Mm. Can be. Can be. Yeah, it, it certainly can be. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I know people who've been able to do both and do it well. It's um, tough. And so what we're talking about here are temptations and tendencies we see in leadership that we've got to name early and come against early. Just to shift just a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh about 30 years ago, the Lord put on my heart uh, the, in fact, it was more than that now, 35 years ago, uh, the importance of hospitality. The importance of hospitality for leaders. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, uh, anyone who aspires to any level of leadership in the body of Christ must first be given to hospitality. Not gifted in, but given to. 
Then he gave the same message to Titus. He said, you have to be a lover of hospitality. Then in Romans chapter 12, in describing the most elementary characteristics of the true Christian life, one of them is given to hospitality. So we wrote a book called The Power of Hospitality. Pastor Jack Hayford uh, joined me here on the program to talk about it. As I recall, he endorsed the book. And he said, Chuck, this is one of the great missing elements in church leadership. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the, the importance of hospitality. And yet it is quintessential to the very ministry of Christ. In fact, there is no gospel without hospitality, God's hospitality, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so essential. Mm-hmm. But when was the last time or even the first time you ever heard of a, uh, a board of directors for a church or uh, any ministry, question the candidate regarding their heart for hospitality. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I can't recall a time. Yeah, and, I would be and if you don't if have really... that, you how can you be a steward, a proper steward of the body of Christ when you miss one of the most elementary things? That's no, a great word. It really is a great word, um, and it does flow directly out of this whole approach to life and leadership of being a faithful steward, mm-hmm. because hospitality requires us to be outside of ourselves. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It means looking at the needs of the other first. And the one, one of the wonderful things about being set free as a steward and a steward leader is that if we really trust God to be our provider, if our identity is in Him, we trust Him to be our provider, then we do not have to provide, we don't have to worry about providing for ourselves. It's Mm -hmm. not our agenda that dominates everything that happens. My needs don't have to get met in everything that happens. Well, Chuck, as soon as you get to that point where you have that freedom to trust God to be your provider, to seek Him first, right, and let all of these things be added unto you, when you have that position, you you are hospitable. You can now be gracious. I say that Mm -hmm. steward leaders raise up great leaders around them because they're not threatened by them. Um, They can champion other people. They can cheer on other people. A little phrase that we use goes like this. Um, owner leaders absorb praise and deflect criticism. And steward leaders absorb criticism and deflect praise. Wow. And that is just that turn that you make when you realize, I don't need the praise, I don't need the glory, I can give that to my team. But if there's a criticism or something we did wrong, I have the capacity to absorb that for them. Take the responsibility and then fix it and move on. Who wouldn't want to work for a leader like that? Yeah, John the Baptist faced this uh, conundrum, and uh, some of his uh, cohorts, uh, that were his followers, uh, his fan club, so to speak, uh, came to him and said, hey, uh, don't you realize that a lot of the people that are have been following you are now following this fellow <laughs> called Jesus? And uh, he said, well, yeah, that's okay, because he must increase, increase and I yeah. must decrease. It seems yeah, to me that that beautiful. is one of the clearest expressions of the call of a truly anointed and spiritual leader. Yeah, it actually, it totally is. It totally is. That idea. But, but here's the challenge. Um, it's, it's actually a talk in the beginning of the book about increasing and decreasing as a leader. So in that first mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to decrease as a leader. Um, it's hard to decrease intentionally because everyone around you is measuring your success by your increase. 
And exactly. by decrease, it doesn't mean we failed. By decrease, it just simply means there's a lot more of Jesus and a lot less of us. All right, well, let's um, get real down nitty-gritty now. <laughs> let's dig deep, as they say. Suppose you're writing a book, and uh, on the back of your book, it says, Pastor of the 10,000-member church in such y, XYZ town. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? Well, it's tough. It's called self-promotion, isn't it? It is, but your publisher's going to want you to put it on there because they want to sell books. Well, wait a and, minute. Um, who 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 are you representing? Are you representing I the know. publisher? Or are you representing yeah. the Christ? Yeah, yeah. I, I I absolutely hear you on that. I would say that um, in all these situations, the most important piece of this is that we are asking these questions. Mm-hmm. It's when we stop asking these questions and stop putting ourselves in the tension of having to answer some hard questions. When we stop doing that, then the enemy has us just going his way, merrily going along, using secular standards and everything else. Um, I think it's the question. I just, we just need to keep asking the question and, and, and being allowed to be uncomfortable with, uh, with questions that nobody else is really asking. All right, well, let me ask you another question. I have in front of me a book called Set Free to Lead, Your mm-hmm. Guide to Discovering the Abundant Life of a Steward Leader, where you're talking about uh, identifying leadership that has the anointing of God rather than the anointing of men. Mm-hmm. So did you buy up 25,000 copies of this book at full price from your ministry monies uh, in order to get this book listed on the New York Times bestseller list? Oh, man. I did, that's such a funny question. Um, that, that's, a, that's one of those things that goes around the whole publisher's author's thing, a little trick that you can do. Well, yeah, it's actually it's actually what one of the most prominent and respected pastors yeah. in the country and in the world did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful on that. The answer, of course, is no. Um, I, I bought my original set of copies that are sitting. Um, actually, I didn't buy them. I, we printed up a number of copies to be able to sell, but we mm-hmm. sell them one at a time for mm-hmm. people out there who want to be set free and let God do what God's going to do. But those, all those temptations are there, Chuck, every place you go, every time you turn around. That temptation for compromise, that temptation for owning and controlling and measuring the success by productivity, all of that is constantly in front of us. And that's what I want your listeners to be able to just wrestle with. Well, isn't that exactly the temptation that Satan got Jesus with or tried to get him on? He said, look, just bow down to me and I'll give you all of these kingdoms out here. I'll give Mm -hmm. you instant success. And Jesus said, it is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. Maybe we ought to say that a little bit more often in our leadership. We'll be right back. Scott Roden, our guest. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. 
But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. If it is human applause that we need to validate, affirm, and encourage us, we will also find that that same applause binds us and ultimately strangles the spiritual life out of us. Nothing could be more truly said. Words taken directly from Set Free to Lead, your guide to discovering the abundant life of a Stuart leader. Uh, And by the way, uh, we're talking not just with pastors. We're not talking just with people, uh, uh, parachurch leaders and so on. We're talking about, uh, well, publishers. We're talking about parents. We're talking about grandparents. Because every single one of us is in a position of some level of calling by God. But whether we're walking in the anointing of that calling is a whole different ballgame, and that's what we're talking about, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, amen. I'm glad you brought that, because... Uh, one of the things that continues to surprise me is we'll take uh, a group of nonprofit leaders through this and uh, some courses that we put together on this topic. And when we get done and they evaluate it, we'll say, what was the biggest impact that you saw? And and so many of them come back and say, this changed my marriage. Uh-huh. And I'm going, wait, this is a leadership course. Yes. But those principles just flowed over into the way they viewed their spouse uh, or the way they parented or relationships within their family. So it really is um, a very broad sense of what it means that God's called you into a position of of influence over other people, uh, and how are you doing that for him? Well, you know, that's exactly what uh, the revelation to me 35, 40 years ago of the uh, power of hospitality and that requirement did in our own marriage. It was Mm -hmm. revolutionary, and it changed the whole way I viewed ministry, and uh, there was so much freedom in that, and joy, by the way. Yeah. Amen. Um, um, if you look at our website, uh, thestewardsjourney.com, uh, it's, uh, we call it um, uh, a journey of uh, freedom and joy. Mm-hmm. Exactly what it is, the steward's journey. Well, we say, you know, the joy of the Lord should be our strength, but it's hard to find joy if we're carrying the whole burden ourselves. Yeah. Jesus said, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but we've got it just the opposite. The burden is heavy, and the yoke is is yeah. uh, easy. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Well, we cease to be usable in the work of the Lord if we're not uh, really yielded to the Holy Spirit at all mm-hmm. times, which means we have to hear his voice. An awful mm-hmm. lot of people say, oh, well, that was, that was in the Bible. People today don't hear his voice. We just read the Bible. Well, uh, I would disagree with that. When you say hear his voice, you're not talking about adding extra biblical commands. You're talking about revelation of the ways of the Lord that correspond with his word. Don't we need that? Oh, yeah, we absolutely do. And if anybody needs that, it's leaders. Um, you're called with the challenge and the burden of leading organizations. Um, you know, the, um, this idea of intimacy with Christ is, is something that, that most all of us would say, yes, I want to go more deeply with Christ. I want to know more intimacy with him. 
Um, but I think we also, as evangelicals, tend to have this this sense that that um, God God somehow takes pleasure in playing hide and seek with His will. You know, well, what does God want me to do? What's God's will? And it, and we're always kind of seeking and trying to find it and trying to figure it out. Um, and I don't think the nature of the God that we serve is one that He He enjoys making us work really, really hard to figure out what it is he wants us to do. Mm-hmm. So we need to come to grips, I think, with the fact that God loves to provide us with wisdom. Um, his favorite thing, I think, his favorite prayer to grant is a prayer for wisdom and to know his will. And I believe what he calls us, he says, if you diligently seek me, you'll find me. So coming into this whole uh, understanding God's will, hearing his voice, knowing his direction, uh, we have to do that with confidence that he will speak, we will hear and we can move in his direction. Now, most of the time, I've found that in the New Testament church, and especially, um, God tends to reveal his will uh, through the voice of a community. So it's not us going up on a mountaintop as a leader and waiting for God to speak to us out of the clouds. It's listening to the people around us, praying together. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton has a wonderful set of books on, on discerning God's will and community and together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's ways to do this in disciplines that can allow us to truly hear God speak. But we have to believe. We have to believe at the beginning that if we seek him, he will He will come to us, he will speak, and we will know the direction he wants us to well, go. Well, Scott, that's the big word. The biggest little word in the Bible is the word if. It occurs <laughs> over and over and over again, and so-called Bible-believing Christians just miss that word over and over and over again and think that, all these promises and these things are just uh, uh, self-contained, and they have nothing whatsoever to do with our participation. But then the word if is cut right out of the Bible. If you, yeah. then I. If you, then I. If you, then I. If you, then I. So uh, that is the, uh, the predicate and the foundation for all the promises of God. And uh, we somehow need to get that into our hearts and minds. We've got to seek first. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added unto you. Yeah, no, amen. And my favorite text in all of this um, is 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, uh-huh. where the famous one where Paul says, you know, I plant, Apollos waters, but God brings the increase. You mean, it doesn't, you mean you're not responsible for the success and you aren't supposed to get credit for everything that's done in the kingdom? It's pretty much a formula for successful leadership in the kingdom, I think, isn't it? Yes, so it is. But the key is, is you have, to, you have to know what planting and watering means. What, what am I responsible to do? Because clearly planting and watering are huge parts of the whole process. Of course. But at what point do we stop and say, I have done, I've been faithful, Chuck back faithfulness, I have been faithful to what God called me to do. I think I have planted and watered with excellence, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to trust him for the increase. And here's the key. Here's the hardest part for us. I'm going to be content with what he provides. Absolutely. You know, I love landscaping and uh, uh, that kind of thing. It's it's sort of a hobby for me. Mm -hmm. And I work hard at it. I have a vision for it. I water. (laughs) I fertilizer. I prune. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Mm-hmm. I have found that I have never yet been able to make something grow. Yeah. There and I go. don't try to get the credit for it. I'm just rejoicing in the participation in the process. That's exactly it. So there's there's our God's work done God's way for God's glory, because if we trust him for the increase, then when it comes, 
the only thing we can do is give him honor and glory and praise for what he's done through us. Absolutely. He must increase, I must decrease. Again, friends, the book, Set Free to Lead, your guide to discovering the abundant life of a steward leader. Uh, Scott Rodine, $15, we'll put it in your hands on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And again, you said you had a website. Yes, there's two websites, actually. We have a, um, my, our ministry website is thestewardsjourney.com, mm-hmm. and I do a weekly blog and lots of resources there. And uh, then we also, all the books that we publish, all the resources we make available are through kingdomlifepublishing.com. I like that name, Kingdom Life Publishing. Mm-hmm. Kingdom Life Publishing. That goes to the very heart of the matter, doesn't it? We hope so. We Absolutely. So. Well... Uh, don't and in Kingdom Life Publishing, don't require that those who write uh, write for your glory. But <laughs> <laughs> let's hope so. Let's yeah. hope we walk in the talk. There you go. Now, <laughs> if you want credit for your idea to let people know that you were a great leader or that you were the author of this, that, or the other, uh, is that real anointed leadership, or is that kind of a counterfeit? designed to expand our own kingdom, Scott. Kingdoms. Yeah, amen. That's beautifully put. It's this whole two-kingdom thing. You know, when you read the book, everything we do, talk about is based on this understanding that we live our lives divided between two kingdoms, that which we believe is the kingdom of God and the stuff we hang on to in our own kingdom. And it's that second kingdom stuff that we want to own and control that brings us all of the bondage and fear and anxiety and stress and discouragement in our life. It's what the enemy uses against us. Um, as weapons to steal from us the abundant life that that, that Christ had for us. Well, and an so we got to name those second kingdom things, Chuck. An issue came up in the latest issue of World Magazine, uh, a news art, uh, a magazine for Christians, and it was dealing with uh, plagiarism mm-hmm. among pastors. Plagiarism mm-hmm. among pastors, and it's a feature mm-hmm. article. Quite interesting. I had a conversation with a pastor over lunch uh, just before uh, joining you today, and uh, uh, that pastor was kind of upset about the position that uh, everybody had to have credit for this, that, or the other. He said, whatever mm-hmm. happened to the kingdom of God? Uh, do, yeah. I, do I own everything that I have said, uh, and, and why is it we have to get credit for it? What do you say about that? Well, as much as I'd love to quote Scripture on it, my favorite quote on that actually came from Ronald Reagan, who said, you know, it's amazing what we can get done if nobody cares who gets the credit. Aha! Uh-huh. There you and, go! But in the kingdom of God, we have to get the credit. And yeah, so everybody yeah. is talking about credits. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's back to what we talked about, the, you know, the idea that we're, we have secular metrics we need to meet. And we tie our identity to our job, and therefore we need the applause and the affirmation for what I do. And it's a spiral. It's that, and we talk about that in the book, the upward spiral and the downward spiral of leadership. And you're describing many of the steps on that downward spiral that ultimately will ruin us as leaders. Well, God only asks one thing of us, of steward leaders, and that is we seek with all our hearts to know his will and to respond with obedience and joy. In other words, to do his will. Mm-hmm. Not to get credit and not mm-hmm. to seek success mm-hmm. because 
he is to get the glory. And as you said, it doesn't, you know, there's no end to what can be accomplished if it doesn't matter who gets the credit. But the long, painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being led, and those who resist this temptation to the end and thereby give us hope are the true saints. And by definition, then, the truly anointed ones. Well, we're called a con to decrease so that Christ might increase. Be the people of God before we do the work of God. What a blessing. What a blessing you are, my good friend. And uh, how long have you been heading up this particular ministry? We started this ministry in uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. So it's only been about six years now, but it's built on work I've been doing back to started in about 2000 um, when we first started publishing some materials on this idea. What does it mean? What is the biblical understanding of, of being a faithful steward? And then from that, we've tried to develop uh, materials for fundraisers and leaders and parents and marriage and all the rest of it. So it's been about a 20-year journey for me. The ministry's been around for about six. Well, you're doing a great job. Really appreciate it. Now, I can give you that credit, but then you turn around and say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to do this. Yeah. To God be the glory. You know, I thank the Lord every day, practically, that he gives me the privilege to be able to do this We hardly get any credit for it. We're not even looking for any credit because it's hard to get credit for something when you're speaking truth directly into the heart of people who have been completely absorbed by the spirit of the world, even in God's own house. But, you know, we, we thank the Lord that whether it's by many or by few, in small ways, we have the opportunity to be a participant with him as a steward over God's flock. The Apostle Peter talked about that, didn't he? Don't lord it over the flock. Don't be as one that lords it over the flock or that does ministry for money. No, but be a steward of the flock. Pray for us as we wrap up. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this opportunity to just talk about the good things of God, the good things of you. It reminds us of your wonderful nature, the way you love us, your abundance, your provision, um, and mostly in the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might be uh, brought close to you through the blood of Christ and have eternity ahead. Every day now, Lord, that we live in this world, I just pray for Chuck and all of his followers, listeners, um, that they would be experiencing a little bit every day the freedom and the joy you have for them in the journey of becoming faithful, fully surrendered stewards in the kingdom of God. Let us have faithfulness as our definition of success and serve you as your anointed people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So be it, my friends. Become a partner with us. Go to our website. Make your generous gift there because that's how we stay on the air. God bless. Be a blessing and be a steward leader. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.